0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! Welcome to episode 146 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. Andy, 146. That is the combined number of gardeners around our two residences right now.
2: That is the official decibel level of a leaf blower when it's operating about 40 feet away from your podcast microphone. That's what I figured out
1: regular listeners of the bags and brisbee podcast might have figured out that we are doing this at it on a different time in a different day this is uh friday morning at nine o'clock when we're recording and that is apparently the gardener hour it is official gardener hour on both of our properties isn't that funny like haha funny
2: edgers don't uh, work silently grant and neither do leaf blowers and uh the leaf blower is the state bird of the state of California. It's not the quail, contrary to popular belief. So, yeah, we will we will go ahead and soldier forth with some lovely background noise today.
1: All right, real quick. We're not going to get into it too much, but I had it up. 146 hits for Ray Durham in, in uh, 2006. Ray Durham, good giant?
2: Yeah, I think he was a good giant. He wasn't necessarily a giant in a great era for the Giants but you know I mean he's actually a pretty underrated player and, and and he had some great seasons with the White Sox and I think he was just a great compliment to Frank Thomas a guy who was always on base and uh, I will tell you one quick story though we were in Milwaukee one year and I Guillermo Rodriguez I believe was his name and he was a catcher and he was up from the minor leagues he'd spent like like 10 years in the minors and he was just very very excited to be in the big leagues as as one would be and his throws back to the mound just had a little extra pop on them he was just a little hyped up, and Bruce Bochy was kind of freaked out. He thought that he was going to overthrow the pitcher. I think maybe it was Lincecum on the mound. So you know, you, you overthrow a guy who's five foot ten, he's probably not going to be able to jump up and get it. So he told Ray Durham, he said, "Hey Ray, do me a favor, you know, just kind of slide over and, and make sure, you know, that you're you're there to back up in case the throw gets away from the pitcher." And Bochy said, "You know, bless him, Ray did it. He he did it with nobody on base." He did it when the umpire would throw a ball to the mound. And I finally had to go over and tell him in the dugout, you know, Ray, I really appreciate the effort. But when the umpire throws it, it's a dead ball. So that's Ray Durham for you. That's what I think of.
1: Oh, I like that story. I like a good Ray Durham anecdote. I think good giant. I liked him. All right. Well, let's talk about the 2021 Giants. Specifically, are they buyers? Are they sellers? I think we know the answer to that. So it's more a matter of what are they buying and uh, what will they be selling in terms of prospects. But number one, what are they going to buy? What do they need? It's pitching, right? It's starting pitching. It's relief pitching. I mean, are we underthinking this? I think it has to be starting pitching.
2: I mean, we've, we haven't we have really seen this rotation just have a really, really rotten turn through. I mean, we've seen Kevin Gosman take a loss. Uh, we've seen Anthony Di give up 10 runs. We've seen Johnny Cueto be up and down. Alex Wood, a guy who started, we thought, whoa, he's a huge wild card starting the year on the injured list with nerve ablation procedure. He's, you know, had a couple rough starts, but overall, I think a pretty solid body of work. And yet, you kind of realize that if there's one area of this team that could really kind of have a, a big time crash in the second half. It's still probably the rotation, and that could really lead to a cascading effect. So, yeah, I think absolutely. Even though you know Logan Webb is on his way back, you know they have you know, Sammy Long has, has done okay when they've asked him to fill in. I still think they recognize that the rotation is the area that they need to shore up and by extension if, if they shore up the rotation then that means they could you know move somebody else to the bullpen and potentially you know add another component there so i think that's where they should should focus their efforts and, and not only that but it's an opportunity for them to maybe find someone with some cost control that they could plug in a next year's rotation because we know that's really a blank slate as much as we think about the progress that they've made as an organization this year, you know, the goal is still to be a sustained winner, not just, you know, a flash in the pan. So a big part of that is is building rotation that is going to be sustainable. And right now they, they don't really have – sustainable is not the Giants rotation because they're all guys on one-year contracts.
1: Well, there is a guy who's around next to, oh, he's hurt, that's Logan Webb. I go back and forth, I really do ping-pong back and forth, because as much as I don't want to hug prospects too tightly, when there's a win-now season, there is a value and utility in going for it and trading some of those prospects, they're not all going to be Francisco Liriano, they're not all going to be Zach Wheeler, so, you know, go after it. At the same time, you look at some of the guys on expiring contracts, like Zach Davies, maybe John Gray, and you just wouldn't have to give up that much for a pitcher like that is it possible the Giants go this route where they're just, you know, shoring up the rotation, getting a guy to make sure that they have five or six starters at all times? Or are they really, you know, is this the time to go and trade a better prospect for someone under team control for next year?
2: You know, I'm really kind of curious what evaluations that they would make because when they extended the qualifying offer to Kevin Gosman, it was really something that caught a lot of people in the industry off guard. And you know, clearly it ended up being almost a, a no-brainer of a decision given you know what his performance level was and, and that's you know what they thought that they would get or something close to that out of him you know the one thing about uh, uh, guys who they would acquire at midseason like a John gray is you can't give a qualifying offer to someone that you acquire mid-season so part of me would think oh you know if you really really like John Gray and you think that he's going to be the next big breakout candidate you know maybe you could just acquire him and give him the qualifying offer but you don't even have that at your disposal so a rental would be a true rental and you'd have to be really confident that it's someone that you would want to sign long term and it's someone that you could introduce and instantly get sort of that kind of um a relationship built to convince someone that that's where they want to be and then sign them. I really do think that the guys that they're going to try to go for initially are the people that have some control beyond this season. But it's it's a great question. You know, I think that they will be open to rentals, but I just don't think they're going to give up a whole lot of real strong prospect timber for them.
1: Now, let me throw a couple of names out there. And, well, let's just start with the name that, that's been on your mind and it's been on my mind because you can just make a big Whopper package of a deal with uh, the Twins. They have Jose Berrios, They have one of the Rogers. What is it? Taylor? Tyler? Thomas? We had this all down very well. We
2: know Tyler (laughs) is the giant, and and Taylor, by extension, is his brother. The fact that there's a Trevor Rogers in Miami, who's also very, very good and is an all-star, is really messing with my mind because it takes me that extra
1: second to be like,
2: yes, Taylor, it's Taylor jonathan taylor thomas jonathan taylor thomas rogers that's his name
1: (laughs) No, that it harkens back to the days when i was a baseball writer and it was uh donnie murphy danny murphy and david murphy were all in the majors at the same time like forget about it no okay so we have taylor rogers we have jose barrios both are very good like uh barrios has a 3.36 era he's going to be 28 next year just a really solid young pitcher pitching well he has a year of control left lots of teams are going to want him and then you have rogers who you know a we know it's funny because his his uh, twin brother happens to be one of the co-closers for the giants but he is uh, left-handed throws really hard he has a nasty seven to one strikeout to walk ratio great command keeps the ball in the park the giants could use both of these guys they could really 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 use both of these guys but now we're talking like this is not OK player to be named later territory. This is Luis Matos. This is maybe Joey Bart. Like we're talking big, big time trade package. And I'm just not seeing the Giants going that deep into it. So here's a name that I think
2: is interesting. And tell me if I am you know, wearing a tinfoil hat. But the Giants didn't have to call up Tyler Beatty. We know that he's not necessarily ready for prime time right now. He's walking the world in AAA. He's coming back from Tommy John. They did call him up. They do expect to try to get him a couple of innings, potentially piggybacking Logan Webb uh, when they open their series against the Nationals there today. What if this is just one little coat of turtle wax on Tyler Beatty to get ready to trade him? I say that for a couple reasons. One, He doesn't command the strike zone, so I don't know if he's a great fit for what the Giants value. Two, he's a two-time first-round draft pick, so you know that the thought about him in the organization or within the industry is pretty high. Three, he's on the 40-man roster, and I think that all else being equal, they would probably prefer to trade off the 40-man roster because... You know, and we've talked about it, and you wrote about it just recently with Alex Dickerson and, and Donovan Solano, and how the Giants may get in roster squeezes where they have to start making decisions and parting with players that they like. And that's the price you pay for getting more talented. But I still think that they want to have that flexibility on the 40 man to be able to get the players that are being squeezed out of other organizations. And one of the best ways you can kind of keep yourself nimble is to, you know, spin some of your 40 man guys into guys. Who you know are in the minor leagues, who you don't have to add to the forty-man for a while yet. So I, I I do think that they would, all else being equal, if they have to uh, lose inputs from their farm system, would rather trade the Tyler Beatties, maybe even the Alexander Canarios, you know, guys that uh, that are on the forty-man already, because that would provide opportunities for them to do other things. So. I wonder if Tyler Beatty might be a guy who could headline a package. And then you bring up a great point with Joey Bart. I, I do think that as we go along here, Joey Bart is somebody who they may have to dangle. And I think they'd be okay with that. But um, it definitely would depend on what they're getting back.
1: Yeah, I mean, the calculus changes a little bit with Patrick Bailey struggling uh, in the minor leagues to begin the year. It's not as if he's going to rocket to AA and then suddenly become the heir apparent. The calculus also changed in the other direction with Buster Posey. Now you're looking at his uh, team option as... I don't know, like maybe that's decent value. You know, the way he's hitting, the value he has to the team. The Giants don't have to part ways with him if they don't want to. So the calculus changes a little bit. I will say that this is the dream package. You pointed it out. I am on board uh, for Barrios and Rogers. If you're the twins, you see the Giants calling and you hang up. Always. Because, (laughs) you know, they did not do well in the Sam Dyson trade. They did not get value for Dyson. He was terrible. He he had domestic violence arrest and uh, that was bad. And then you have Sean Anderson and uh, he's already been released. Uh, The Orioles picked him up on waivers. So they got Lamont Wade, they got Jalen Davis, they've got Tang and Baroa in the minor leagues. Like the Giants have picked the Twins pocket and this is the Twins can't miss with a trade this big
2: maybe they should ask for Jalen Davis back. I don't think they're going to get <laughs> Lamont Wade Jr. back.
1: No. Oh, man. What a, I mean, if, if you're the Twins and you're looking at... You have to be so annoyed with the Giants right now.
2: You know, the um, the Sam Dyson trade was as disastrous as a trade can be for an organization. I mean, you get a guy who immediately gets hurt once you acquire him. You've given up three players to get him. You've taken on some salary, too. And then the guy you know turns out to be an enormous turd who you know, is being investigated by MLB, not just for domestic violence, but also animal abuse. I mean, come on. That is a trade that does not work out. So, yeah, I, I kind of agree. You look at the Twins' recent history and you think, why would they pick up the phone? But, you know, it's uh, the Giants kept dealing with the Rays and, and kept getting their pockets picked. So, I don't know. I, I think that maybe the the Twins are still, I think, as you mentioned, I think they're the organization that, that may have the easiest match for the Giants. But there are others out there, don't you think?
1: There are. And real quick, a thought exercise. Before this season, when the Cubs were in cost cutting mode after the U Darvish trade, and uh, Craig Kimbrell is coming off a season when he was uh, really, really struggling. I think like last year he had a 528 ERA. Before that, 653. Could the Giants have had Craig Kimbrell for a song this offseason?
2: I don't know. It's a good question. But why not go big? If the Cubs are really rebuilding, why not try to get Chris Bryant, too? I mean, he'd be a rental, but he'd be a free agent that would really fit what they like. I know Kerry Crowley is sort of singing the Chris Bryant song. If you look at their wins above average by position, and that's always a good place to start, and I, I kind of want to, at midseason, that's what I'll look at. And one team that sticks out to me, by the way, as my pick to go off in the second half, I don't know if they'll be able to get to a wild card position, but they very well could win the division Is the Atlanta Braves. And I say that because I assume their pitching was terrible, and their pitching is actually pretty good. It's um, 3.1 wins above average. It's their offense that's been terrible and they've got too many good offensive players. So I I think the Braves are going to challenge for that that NL East before it's all said and done, even though they're sort of middling around 500. But that's a tangent. Looking at wins above average for the Giants, the one position where they rank the lowest is left field. They're minus .6 wins above average and we know that they're a little light from the right side, even though Austin Slater's coming around a little bit. Darren Ruff hit a homer, big homer the other day, had a homer and a double in Arizona against a lefty. I, I still think that it might help to have one more bat that you can rely on, especially a guy that you could move around and play third base and play at in, in left field. Those are two positions that are kind of not a source of strength for the Giants right now with Evan Longoria out. So, How about a Joey Bart-centered trade in which you get back uh, maybe Kimbrel and and Chris Bryant and try to get somebody else thrown in the deal that's got some cost control that you like? I could definitely see something working out. And we know that Scott Harris kind of knows those guys by name. So, you know, maybe, maybe there'd be a match there.
0: We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: I think I know... Trade value, and I think I know when you when you're talking about closer and a guy, a pending free agent. I think I have what they are worth, but I just when you start stacking the names, I'm worried that it, we're underestimating what it would take. It wouldn't just be Bart; it would be Elliott Ramos. It wouldn't just be Bart and Elliott Ramos; it would be Bart, Elliott Ramos, Sean Jelly, and like a couple of like. Are we starting to see the makings of a big, big prospect package that would take a chunk out of the Giants' top twenty? Would they even consider something like that? I don't know. I think that's a great question. I mean, what, what would you do?
2: Would you give up a Joey Bart for you know two really, really high-impact rental players? I kind of think they wouldn't. I think they would need something that they could hold on to beyond this season because, I mean, we know how good the Dodgers are, even though they're going through absolute hell right now. And they really are looking like a team that you know, isn't necessarily going to waltz the division. Still, every projection system still has the Dodgers winning the division, and if you're the Giants and you know that you're going against two teams that are really, really tough and you've played the best baseball in the major leagues and they've stayed almost right there in your shadow the whole way, if you're the Giants, the odds are probably the most likely that you would be in that wild card game facing a Hugh Darvish or facing, you know, a Walker Bueller or, or somebody else. So, you know, is it really worth it to give up a guy who is the number two overall pick for even a couple of high high impact rental players. I, I just don't think so for that chance. So I think they'd have to get something back in the deal that they could kind of hang their hat on for for you know next year or the year after that.
1: I would agree wholeheartedly. The National League West in 2021 changes everything. If you're coming to me and it's 1997 and, you you know, just a couple of normal teams fighting for the division, maybe maybe you have that inclination to go for a rental, two rentals, three rentals, you know, just, hey, we're going to be all in for our push this year, maybe under the old postseason format where the wild card was treated like a a big boy postseason team automatically and they just waltz right to the NLDS. In that situation, you do. Not the NL West, not in 2021 when you have a really strong chance of winning 100 games and still being in the wild card. It's unlikely, but it can certainly happen 95 games, 97. I mean, I think that the wild card's going to come out of the NL West and the teams are going to have well north of 90 wins.
2: I would agree with that. I, you know, we know that the Giants could play, you know, 500 ball for the rest of the season and still be like a, what a 92 or 93 win team. It's really going to be tough for the wild card not to come out of the NL West, even if a team like the Braves, that you know, as of this recording, are 42 and 44, and they're like what about four games, four and a half games behind the Mets. Even if if the second place team from the NL East you know finishes with with close to 90 wins or more. I mean it's you're talking about let's see what do, what do we got? The Giants are have 54 and 32, so they are 10 12. Yeah, they're like they're like 12 games up on on the Atlanta Braves right now. So that's how far they'd have to fall. And we we've seen Giants teams almost give away a lead that big in 2016, but this feels like a different team. This doesn't feel like a team that that's that's uh, you know, kind of doing it with smoke and mirrors. So I think that they can safely say that they'll the odds are very, very high they'll be a playoff team, but, you know, yeah, it's it's how much do you want to risk for for a one game playoff? And I think that's a good question for, for a lot of teams in this situation.
1: One thing that I did, I looked at all the teams under 500 and, and saw maybe the the pitchers they would want to trade. And there just aren't a ton of relievers that make you pump your fist and go like, ah, oh, yeah, Like they, they have warts. They have uh, high walk rates. They have uh, low strikeout rates. I really kind of poured through the Cardinals bullpen before they came into San Francisco. And I was like, oh, my gosh, these guys walk everyone, everyone. And the one player, you know, who didn't on that, that in that bullpen was Giovanni Gallegos and he's under team control for a long time so it's hard to find that perfect perfect fit I think the best option if we're not talking Kimbrell is going to be Richard Rodriguez of the of the Pirates just a guy who you know mainly throws a fastball but he doesn't walk guys he keeps the ball in the park he's been good for a long long time that might be you know maybe it's some sort of package with him and bringing Chris Stratton back
2: I would like to see Richard Rodriguez and Jake McGee back to back, and <laughs> and the catcher would basically get carpal tunnel syndrome from putting a one down so many times. Are there two relief pitchers who throw a higher percentage of fastballs than Richard Rodriguez and Jake McGee? I I don't think I don't think you'll find two guys who throw more fastballs than those two. So he commands the strike zone, and and there's something about his fastball that hitters just don't see. I'm with you. I think he's a guy who would be a great fit, but. I think the problem is he's a guy that I think is going to be a great fit for every single contending team. So so you're probably going to have to give up more than you'd like for him. And uh, we know the Pirates are are looking for a lot of quality minor league inputs. They're going to have competition, I think, with him. So maybe you got to think a, a little more creatively and find uh, a Drew Pomerantz type guy, maybe someone who's a little overexposed in someone's rotation that you think their stuff can play up in a relief role. I, there's probably a few people like that out there.
1: It's funny because for all of the faith and trust that Giants fans should have in their front office when it comes to sourcing and uh, procuring talent uh, in the rotation, in the lineup, on the bench the bullpen is still that kind of gray area where you haven't seen the, an ability to to pluck a guy out and say, aha, our secret bullpen weapon. And now he's Drew Pomerantz. They kind of did for a, a few days with Drew Pomerantz and then they traded him away and he's had a, a fine career since then, but they haven't got their Mike Yastrzemski of the bullpen. They haven't come especially close. They they're cycling through guys. I think they've used, you know, 30, 40 different relievers in the, the Zaidi era. They haven't found that one guy yet. So it would be hard for me to say, well, you know, if, if they go and they trade for, you know, I don't know, just pulling a name out here, Zach Davies, and then they put him in the bullpen. Like, is that going to work? I don't I don't know if they're confident enough to do that.
2: You'd have to definitely have the scouting. You'd have to be pretty much on board with seeing how someone's stuff could play up. Uh, and they'd have to be a strike thrower. That would be the number one thing. Um, Zach Davies is a guy who has a great changeup and uh, got off to a terrible start this year, but has kind of picked up and ramped up a little bit. That's another thing that they really value is trajectory. You know, who's uh, maybe not necessarily has the best overall numbers, but who's trending in the right direction. And so that's probably something they'll pay a lot of attention to as they look to identify uh, potential trade candidates.
1: One guy I'm looking at, and he's on a contending team, so it might be difficult to pry him away, but he's got a 0.84 ERA. He strikes out seven batters for every walk he's issued. Uh, That's his name. Oh, Matt Whistler. Oh, crap. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> isn't that amazing it. that's amazing I, you know what he's also given up two home runs in those 10 innings and i think that was going to be just his his, his problem is, is when you know the slider's coming you have to be 100 percent perfect with that slider you can't be 95 percent perfect and so that's why even with the giants he had a strong strikeout to walk ratio but just you know every ninth pitch every ninth slider would just sort of float up there so i don't know i i just thought it was funny to mention that name yeah,
2: by the way, Zach Davies has the lowest strikeout-to-walk ratio of any qualified pitcher in Major League Baseball, now that I'm looking it up, so probably not a good fit for what they value.
1: I pulled that out of my nether region, so I I don't even know, like, I can't keep, like, wasn't there, there was Kyle Davies, there's Zach Davies, I didn't even know who this one was, so. I do think, oh! <laughs> the Davies-Murphy matchup, don't miss it. <laughs> All right, uh, you know what? Iglesias from the Angels, Marcel Iglesias, that would be a trade target that I think works all around. But when you start talking closers and you start talking effective relievers, you're right. Everyone's going to want one. Everyone is going to be in the discussion, and the price is going to go up and up and up. And I'm wondering if the Giants are even going to get a reliever at all.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I think it'd have to be someone that, um, again, I don't think they're going to give up a lot for rentals, but if it's someone who's a Craig Kimbrell, I could see them maybe sort of crossing the, the bridge a little bit if they get other pieces. So I'm just looking at, at a, a list of all of the guys with the best strikeout-to-walk ratio in the major leagues. And honestly, most of them are all on contending teams. You have to scroll all the way down to Barrios, basically, until you get to somebody who might be available. And, and, and again, we talk about how, you know, how the competition would be fierce for Richard Rodriguez. I mean, gosh, it would be super fears for someone like Berrios too. I mean, right now you can't make a deal now because there's just not enough people who are gonna be in selling mode and way too many people in buying mode. So, you know, we're also gonna to have to wait to see just how the schedule shakes out and how the standings look a couple weeks from now. I mean, we would not be talking about the Cubs as sellers, uh, you know, two weeks ago. And now clearly they're, they're starting to, to move into that direction. So, you know, there may be some other surprises that um, surprising opportunities that present themselves.
1: Andy, would you consider yourself a man of science?
2: You know, I I believe in science,
1: yes. Are you a superstitious baseball observer, however?
2: Generally not, but, you know, I will tweet when a no-hitter's in progress, and I will take the wrath of of the internet, so,
1: yeah. Because I am curious, when you have a Giants killer, like Ian Kennedy, who kills the Giants as a pitcher on the other side— do you think it transfers over to him being a Giants killer if they suddenly give up a B plus prospect for him, and he goes over and he's suddenly like, "Oh, you know, now I'm I'm the 36 year old Ian Kennedy. Fooled you. I'm terrible." Do you think that transfers over? Well, first of all,
2: I would I would wholeheartedly support an Ian Kennedy acquisition by the Giants because I would like to ask him why Matt Cain flipped him off all those years ago. <laughs> When we got that great shot of Matt Cain leaning on the dugout rail, smirking, and then flashing the bird... And it was directed at Ian Kennedy, and I want to know why. But uh, yeah, you know what? The, I think the corollary holds that when you go out and you get an organization killer, it never works out. And I'm informed by my perspective as a reformed Cubs fan, when they would go out and get Howard Johnson or Jeff Blouser. If you want to laugh, look up what Jeff Blouser did against the Cubs and then look at what his numbers were as a Cub. And yeah, it was almost like he was a secret agent meant to destroy them any way he could
1: yeah uh giants fans have their version and it's mark portugal that is you know he was the giants absolute just brutalized them And then he came to the giants it's like yeah you know he wasn't terrible but he wasn't the same guy he wasn't a cy young vote getter you know especially against the giants but i think honestly in all seriousness a guy like ian kennedy who is a not dominant be pretty okay, and C, older, he's got warts, maybe you don't trust him as much. That might be, if they're going to get a reliever, it's going to be a reliever with warts. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, probably. I mean, every every everybody's got some wart or another. You know what I would love to see? I would love to see a trade between the Giants and the A's that would work for both teams. It's been too long. It really has. It's the curse of Darren Lewis. You know, Adam Petty John for cash does not count. Birch Smith on a waiver deal does not count. Um, we need to have a major league trade
1: between the
2: Giants and A's. And I don't know if they're going to match up because they're both contending teams. Maybe they can find a way to help each other. But there's got to be something out there.
1: There's got to be something. I think I agree. I think that's uh, I think that's a lot of fun. I mean, it's... Uh... Listen, was was Rod Beck one of the last trades that the A's made, to, giving Rod Beck to the Giants for Charlie Corbell? That might be why they're not uh, syncing up. It's the curse of Rod Beck.
2: Maybe, but um, yeah, what was in the the Darren Lewis trade? That was uh, that was
1: kind of a blockbuster, wasn't it? Ah, uh, well, you know what? I'm going to vamp and I'm going to talk, and you're going to uh, uh, hear my my voice. As I am definitely not just looking up baseball reference right now. Okay, it was. Uh, for Ernie Riles, okay. So the Giants had Ernie Riles, who he had some sort of milestone. wars. like the ten thousandth RBI or run scored was Ernie Riles uh, against the Cardinals. But let's see. Yeah, it was for Ernie Riles. So is uh, that fit your definition of a blockbuster?
2: No, maybe not. I, I think that the I think the <laughs> A's pretty... got taken on that one. The A's probably got taken on that one.
1: He didn't do too well with the A's. So listen, I think it would be a lot of fun if you had a team like. You know, I'm trying to figure out the Giants' active roster when they get La Stella back, when they get Longoria back and Belt back. They might have a glut and they might have like a good player that a team like the A's could use. And maybe I don't know the A's situation, but maybe they have a bullpen that's a little bit overstuffed and they're willing to give away. Like, I don't know. Let's see. They've got some familiar names. Bring Romo back. Bring Petit back. A Romo Petit package. I would trade Bart for that just for the yucks.
2: <laughs> why Sergio Romo back <laughs> on the Giants again? That would be something else. I mean, hey, Connor Gillespie had a second tour. Uh, Travis Ishikawa had a second tour. Pablo Sandoval had a second tour. Hunter Pence had a second tour. Most of them worked out. Some of them didn't. But uh, why not? Why not bring Sergio Romo back? That would be that would be a hoot.
1: All right. If the Giants don't want to give up that much, uh, maybe they can throw in Birch Smith. Uh, Just have all the legends come back. I think the Giants could could do pretty well. (laughs) Our producer Brian informs me that Ernest Riles had the Giants 10,000th home run. I remember it well. It was into the family pavilion at Candlestick in a game where they blew the Cardinals out. Don't look that up, but I think think it's true. And they stopped the game and
2: and he, he held the base over his head. And Gene Segura has 200 career doubles and everyone was happy. Never forget Gene Seeker.
1: All right, this has been episode 145, he says with confidence, uh, of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. We're actually going to take next week off. Uh, We are not going to mess around with the All-Star break. Uh, We are going to take a sanity week and come back stronger and fresher, and we'll have hot, hot rumors to talk about. So uh, we will see you then, and thanks for listening.